0: The stuff we're made of. That came from a, ser- a message that I preached, oh gosh, weeks and weeks and weeks back, maybe a few months ago, and I was talking about my spiritual heritage in grandparents and great-grandparents and what they built into my life. I believe God's intention is that we, when we raise our children, are to give them a transparent life where we acknowledge and own our mistakes, but we, we, we see God redeem it and take it. And we we're able to say, Hey, I'm sorry. I missed it. I blew it. Listen, don't do this in your life. Learn from my lesson. And then our children are able to stand on our shoulders. I don't believe God intends for every generation to start again at ground zero and have to work through the mistakes that their parents and grandparents have made. I I think that that God has equipped us. He's given us this amazing book called the Bible that records the stories and not just the triumphs, but many times the failures, the mistakes, the foibles, the, the sins, the faults of various saints that God has used in spite of their struggles. Come on, somebody, say amen. I'm thankful. I'm thankful this morning that God used lying Abraham, and he made him the father of our faith. I'm thankful that God used murdering Moses and made him a deliverer, which is an Old Testament type of Jesus Christ, our great deliverer. I'm thankful that God used adulterating David, and he turned and redeemed the situation. And the fact that God can, nothing you've done so great or so bad that God can't redeem it and turn it around and use your life for his glory. Come on, say amen. I just want to say that I am so blessed beyond description to see Pastor Donnie just here this morning. What a blessing it is to see the man of God in the house. We love you dearly and so grateful to see you in here with us today this morning. Every Sunday I see new faces. I was so glad to see David and Laura Reed in the first service this morning. haven't seen them in over a year and um, I'm looking out. I don't want to miss anybody, but if this is your first Sunday back, welcome back. I'm so thrilled to see you. I feel like we're rebuilding our church all over again. It's great to see folk coming, new new people visiting every Sunday. And um, what a blessing it is to have you with us as we start this series called The Stuff We're Made Of. The title of the message this morning is called Extraordinary Faith. Extraordinary Faith. One verse of scripture for our text as we begin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, say that word, witnesses, Witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Now, Bible school, the very one of the very basic words that were, or, or hermeneutic principles that we learn. Hermeneutics is the science of interpretation of something. Uh, came from the, the mythological Hermes, who was the messenger of the gods. That's where we get the word hermeneutics. And so Um, I learned that when you cross a text or you come across a passage and it starts with therefore that you're supposed to stop and see what it's there for, okay? And kind of a joke, but also a really good, solid, steadfast rule. Therefore, chapter 12, verse 1 begins with, because it's tied to the whole chapter previous to it, chapter 11, which is called the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I heard recently that that's supposed to be the new Christian pickup line. The guy looks at the girl and he says, is your name Faith? And she says, no, why? He said, because you're the substance of things I have hoped for. (laughs) That's a bad Christian pickup line. (laughs) Uh, Later in the chapter, it says, without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So we have to have some faith to please God. How many of you know God has given every man, Romans 12, the the measure of faith? We all start out with the same amount. What you do with it is up to you. You can grow it, or you can just let it be a stunted little dwarfed plant. But how many of you know that God says if we'll put our trust in Him, the Scripture tells us how we can get more. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. All of these people that were listed, Abraham and Sarah and Joshua and Moses and David and Samson and various judges, uh, numerous prophets, men and women, Rahab the harlot is in that list. Isn't that awesome? That's an Old Testament word for a prostitute. How many of you know if God can take a hoe from Jericho and get her saved... And turn her around and put her in the lineage of Jesus. Yeah, I said that. You can go quote me. Tell your neighbor this week, my pastor said God took a hoe from Jericho. And I'm sorry if that offends you. I'm not trying to be too crass, but I just kind of like how it rings. The hoe from Jericho. And she became the great-grandmother of King David. She's in the lineage of our Messiah God turned a prostitute around and saved her life and redeemed her, bought her by the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. Everybody say, ain't nothing, ain't nothing I've done, say it, that God can't take care of. Come on, let's just get real in here this morning. One thing that I want to bring to you today, this is our kind of the tool that I use, it's the repeating kind of a chorus in a hymn that we go back to because I want you to leave at least getting this much. So if you don't remember anything else, look at the screen, read it with me. Every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see him move in your life for you and those around you. Now that's about 30%. Come on, let's raise it up, everybody else. Every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see him move in your life for you and those around you. You're still not there. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, wake up. Come on, give it to me like you really mean it. Here we go. Every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see Him move in your life for you and for those around you. Now, why, Pastor, why do you do this repetition thing? Because you ain't going to get it any other way. You, you say it over and over again. Come on. Uh, I, I mean, how many of you know we all grew up two all-beef patties, special sauce? <laughs> lettuce, cheese, pickles? Onions on a... Why do you know that? Why have you, why have you set apart brain cells to remember that? Why don't you remember something worthwhile? You know how that got in there? You heard it over and over and over and over again. One bread builds strong bodies in what, eight seven ways? I forget. But I mean, whatever you hear over and over and over again, it's going to get in there. It's going to affect you. So I, that's why I use... Repetition. Paul the Apostle said, for me to say the same thing to you is not grievous, and for you it's safe. It doesn't grieve me, Paul said, to have to repeat myself, but it's, it's a safeguard for you because you're going to get it. We want to stir up our minds to remember the things that God teaches us. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege, just the, the outrageous experience of being able to stand in this place to lean into the Holy Spirit and to say, Jesus, be the words in my mouth, the thoughts in my mind. Lord, we acknowledge you, we need you, we're desperate for you. Thank you for the Holy Communion we received this morning. Thank you for healing, Lord, the various parts of our brokenness in our lives, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, all those things we look to you to bring shalom, to bring wholeness to our lives. You are the God of peace. We thank you for that. Help me today to, to be careful to bring that which you've spoken. I ask you for clarity and I ask you for brevity. And I ask Jesus that you would be in these words. In, in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, my sister, Phyllis, is 17 years older than I am. My parents had two, two families, same mom and dad. But two families, 14 years apart. I am the older of the two, of the second set. My younger brother Dewey will be 57 this August. I'm 60. I know y'all are looking at me and can't believe that, but I am. What was that lady? I'm 50 years old on Saturday Night Live. I'm 60 years old. I'm glad. I'm excited. I'm just wake up refreshed. I just have got fresh vision. I'm excited what the Lord has in front of me in the rest of my life, what he has for our church, what he has for this team, what he has for the next generation beyond me. It's going to be amazing. I'm just just excited, anticipating what the Lord's going to do. My older brother, Jim, is 14 years my senior. He's 74. And then my sister Phyllis is three years and some months, some change, older than Jim. She's 77. And Phyllis has spent years and years and years researching our family genealogy, and on both sides, my dad's side, the Smith side, and my mom's side, the Blake side, and um, what I have in front of me right here is the Smith history, and it's just, man, some of these people just look mean. I mean, did nobody smiled. Nobody smiled for those old pictures back then. It's just almost bizarre. Some of these I mean, look at all those kids. they're just like, "Somebody made me drink persimmon juice before I came up here." Well, this very first picture that we start with is my great-grandfather, Newton Jasper Smith. And he's in his Confederate uniform. He fought in the Civil War. He was from Alabama. And very poor, just had a little 40-acre farm. He didn't own any slaves. As a matter of fact, my sister very meticulously studied our family history, and she said, Michael, there is no record of anybody in our family owning any slaves. And so I take that as personal pride. I don't think I'm better than anybody else because my family didn't. But she traced it right now. She's heading into the top of the 1600s. She's traced it back beyond the American Revolution. There was a colonel in my family that was um, a leader on the American side, The American Revolution. There, there's a dozen preachers throughout the family line, and of which I'm just one of. And um, Methodist and Baptist and Pentecostal and Church of Christ, and just a whole bunch of. There's everything you can imagine. There is a spiritual family tree in my life that just about drinks from every stream in the body of Christ, and I think that's really cool because God, I think, did that. Because I'm here just saying, hey, listen. This, this is bigger than any one stream. The river is what it's all about. And we can, the The little streams empty into the big river called the body of Christ. And the problem is, is when I start thinking my stream is the river, because honey, your stream ain't the river. It's all of them together that make the river of God. And, and I, I show this to you because I want you to see this is part of my, my heritage, my natural family DNA. And I tell this to tell the story. I used to teach this in history at, Before ASU Mid-South was MSCC, and at Arkansas State University, at Victory University in Memphis before they went out, um, different places that I've taught college-level history in, I I try to bring some stories. And when I teach history, I do it kind of like I preach. I don't just give dates and dead guys, but I tell the stories that make history come alive. And so I've, I've always shown them this. And I said, now what I want you to recognize is that this guy right here, my great-grandfather, and his wife, Cynthia, were Christians. They believed in the Lord Jesus, loved the Lord. And great-grandfather, Newton Jasper Smith, fought in the Civil War not to defend the concept of slavery, but he was defending his little 40-acre farm that he owned uh, from an invading, raping, pillaging, burning, looting northern army. Okay? Now... I just want to be very careful. You guys know where I stand on racism and on bigotry, that that it's going to take a recognition of grace that is bigger than race. I, I, I want to help be a part of the solution to deal with the wound and the problem that we face in the Delta. Due to years of mistreatment, the, the things that have been brought to light regarding police brutality and all of those kinds of things, and folk being cheated out of what was rightfully theirs, I'm all about that. But I also want you to know that the story of history is bigger than, and it's much more complex, it's much more nuanced. All these stories, everybody who fought on the Confederate side wasn't fighting to defend keeping slaves. They were just trying to protect their own property, their own daughters, their own houses. Because in this gruesome, bloody time of war, there were outrageous, unspeakable things that were taking place. The Northern Army took the approach of the German war philosopher von Clausewitz, and they just did a total war. If you will remember, when Sherman marched through Atlanta, he burned it to the ground, and the army was doing all kinds of ungodly unspeakable things, and so those who fought weren't fighting necessarily to weren't faulting, weren't fighting to maintain a, 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 an immoral system of, of enslaving African people, but they were just trying to protect their own property. OK Now, my grandfather, the son of one of the children of Newton Jasper Smith, William Richard, my grandfather, my, my, my dad 's dad, was in Um, Savannah, Tennessee, on a little 160-acre farm. They'd prospered a little bit and got a little bit more land, and they lost it in the Great Depression and picked up the whole family. My grandmother, Creasy Shepherd Smith, had 12 children. Now, I know some of you, of course, they didn't have anything better else to do back then, so they just had babies. Uh, I'll leave that alone. (laughs) And so, uh, and, and two of her daughters had 12 children apiece. Now, I've got family all over the place I've never met yet. Some of them I don't care to meet. But anyway, I'll, I'll leave that alone. We've got outlaws just like you do. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. And so there's all kinds of folks that are related somehow around here. And I just want to say that I'm thankful they, they made the move from Savannah to Taranza, Arkansas poor as Job's turkey, and they sharecropped on the Norcross Plantation in, in, in Taranza, Arkansas. That's where my dad came of age, and had he not lived in Taranza, he wouldn't have met my mother at the Mark Tree Church of God on Allen Street, where they met, and my grandfather was a leader in the church, a charter member of the Mark Tree Church of God, and he came and asked my, my grandfather, can I date your daughter? He said, yes, you can see her every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night at church. Just come find your place on a pew where we can all see you, Grady. And so that's what my dad did for a while until he asked my mother to marry him. And he was 25 and she was 14. And my grandfather went to the county seat and signed so mama could get married. It's a different day. I can't even imagine 14-year-olds getting married today. And they were married almost 63 years when my dad passed. So they had an amazing life together had two sets of kids. That's part of my DNA. There's some, there's some of this just pure grit that's in my spiritual DNA on my dad's side, which is some of the whole never quit. You know, I t- tell you about my family ethos is trust God, work hard, never quit. Say it with me. Trust God, work hard, never quit. And that whole never quit thing, when I say never quit, folks, I'm not talking about just keep doing something that's failing over and over again. If, you, if it's failed, then when I say never quit, I mean you go, okay, let's, let's back up and recalibrate and let's take a different direction. Never quit doesn't mean keep doing the same thing that's getting you the same results of failure over and over. Come on, Benjamin Franklin told us if at first you don't succeed, what? Try, try again. That's a, that's a secular way of giving us the Bible idea of what we call the law of seed time and harvest. You will reap what you sow. Well, guess what? If you're not reaping the kind of crop you want, quit sowing those seeds and sow some other kind of seed, somebody, okay? So part of my spiritual DNA is about this recognition of the people who've gone before me. So this, the stuff we're made of is to get you aware of who your identity is now in Christ Look with me, my first point, your spiritual DNA, 1 Peter 1, 23. For you've been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the the eternal living word of God. King James says it this way, being born again, not of corruptible seed. What is the corruptible seed? It's the sperma of Adam. It's, It's the lineage of the line of fathers. When When Adam reproduced, he reproduced children that had the same sin nature he had when he committed high treason against God. We call it original sin. We don't become sinners when we sin the first time. We sin the first time because we're already born sinners. Are you with me? Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of God's standard, the target. We've missed it. The arrow is bent and it doesn't hit the target. We've come short of the glory of God. But... The corruptible seed is not what we were born by in the kingdom of God. When we are born again, when we are born from above, when we are born from heaven, we are born by an incorruptible seed. The same seed that birthed Jesus is the seed of the Holy Spirit that came into your life and you were born again. Come on somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. An incorruptible seed cannot corrupt. It can't die. It can't decay. It can't, fa- it can't fail. It can't quit. It, it will win because it's destined to win. You hear me this morning? Now, at Victory, we make a special attempt to help you get renewed in your thinking about who you are now and not who you used to be. I listened to a podcast by Dr. Lane Norton, who is a Ph.D. in uh, nutritional science, and he comes out two or three a week, and I'm always, during different times, listening to that if I'm in the car driving and I'm running errands or whatever. He wrote a book called Fat Loss Forever, and he says that people who have lost large amounts of weight, who keep it off successfully, have done so because they get a new identity. Everybody say identity, okay? And so I'm, I'm doing that. I'm doing the inner work. I'm journaling. I've seen a therapist a couple of times and talked about some of my issues in the past, And just, you know, I'm doing everything I can to no longer be the fat kid up here. Are y'all hearing me? To recognize, as a matter of fact, I'm going to just go ahead and tell you what I've said thousands of times. I'm 215 pounds, 10% body fat, tanned and toned and in the best shape of my life. I did a, I did the farm loop the other day. I rode, matter of fact, Memorial Day last Monday. I rode 21 miles. I added to that 12 and a half on the farm loop, and I'm out. And while I'm riding, and I'm grinding a little bit, and I'm I'm driving into the wind, and I'm just gritting my teeth. And I said, I'm 215 t- pounds, 10 percent body fat, tanned and toned, and in the best shape of my life. I've said that not less than 10,000 times. And you know what? If you hang around here by about September 1st, I will get on this stage and I will be 215 pounds, tanned and toned, 10% body fat, and in the best shape of my life. How many of you know what you repeatedly say is dependent upon what you repeatedly believe, and what you repeatedly believe will become your reality? Come on, somebody. Are you following me? I mean, I started out at nearly 350 pounds. I'm going to show you the pictures. Some of you can't remember because I know you're just thinking, man, he's just getting so good looking, it's crazy. I'm, I'm just teasing. But I'm going to show you just how, I mean, you talk about wide load, baby. Oh my gosh. And I'm just grateful to been able to conquer that. I stood in this pulpit in 2019 and said, and I said a little bit of that right there, It's taken me three years. By the end of this third year, I will have reached my goal. By the way, I've already talked to State Farm. They're going to look at reducing my premium on my million-dollar policy. (laughs) The bank makes us hold a million-dollar policy on me in case if I die, then the bank will get a million dollars of what we owe them for this building. Well, we're about to cut that in half, baby, I'm telling you right now. Because 110 pounds down, we ought to be able to cut it in half. All right. Not trying to be funny, but how many of you know there's a reality to what we're talking about? It will affect every year of your life. Every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see him move in your life for you and those around you. Point number two, quickly. Abraham is the father of our faith. Hebrews refers to him as the father of the faith of the people of God. The other places in the scripture refer to Abraham as the friend of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, get this, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. King James says, he hoped against hope. Ain't no more hope. The way they would say it in North Carolina when I was out there, won't no hope. How many know when they won't no hope, God still gives you hope? Come on, somebody. (laughs) Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though... At about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead and so was Sarah's womb. His, his wife Sarah was 90 at that point. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced. Everybody say convinced. He was fully convinced that God is Able. Say those three words. God is able. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever He promises. Ephesians three twenty one says, "Now at uh, three twenty, now unto Him who is able to do, who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine." King James says, "Ask or think. If you can think it, God's already ahead of you. He's way bigger than that." If you can imagine it, you ain't got nothing on how big your God is. He has the ability to blow our little pea brain sized minds that we have completely out of our, our set of expectations. Whatever we can come up with, no matter how grand, how grandiose we think it is, God is always bigger than. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. Give the Lord praise. You know the story. Abram, his name hadn't been changed yet, wasn't seeking God. He was a, not a worshiper of the sun, S-O-N, but he was a moon worshiper. Scripture says Abram was from Ur of the Chaldees, modern day Iraq, Babylon. And God came searching for him, which is this, the true story of faith. There ain't none of us in this room that just decided one day we're going to serve God. If you did, it's because God already been on your tail and made the first move toward you. No man comes unto the Father except, the Scripture says, I mean, no man comes into the Son except the Father draw him. And so, we recognize that God drew Abraham, and God met Abraham, and God spoke to Abraham, and he met with Abram, and he said this, he said, he said, man, I'm going to make you a father of a multitude, and Abram says, well, you might need to get started pretty soon, because I'm 70 years old at this point, and my wife is 60. Now, you know, I don't know if you recognize kind of how things happen when you start to get a little bit older, but the chances of any baby coming into this world in this family are slim to none. And you know the story, but basically God shows him three different pictures over a 25-year span. One time he shows him, he says, "Abraham, Abraham, can you count the dust of the earth? And Abraham says, no, sir. And he says, well, that's going to be how much I'm going to multiply your seed. And he did it three times, dust, sand of the sea, and the stars of the heavens. The last time when he changed his name, he said, Abraham, I want you to look up, can you count the stars in the heavens? And Abraham says, no. And he says, that's how I'm going to multiply your seed in the earth. And I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means the father of many nations. He's 70. It hasn't happened. He's 80. He's heard the promise now. 75 is when God first visited him. Sarah was 65. I said 70 and 60. I was wrong. I'm sorry. It's 75 and 65. 65. 25 years later is when Isaac showed up. And in the process, God is stretching Abraham's faith. Remember the title of this is called Extraordinary Faith. Abraham knew, he reckoned, he recognized that his body was as good as dead, but he still didn't waver, he didn't stagger at the circumstances because Abraham knew that every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see him move in your life for you and for those around you. Abraham put his trust in God, and he didn't stagger at the promises of God. And when God changed his name, he added added an ah to Sarai, and he added a ha to Abram, and they became Abraham and Sarah, and the ah got with the ha, and guess what? Isaac was born. Ha, ha. That's what Isaac means, laughter. Abraham had a part. Sarah had a part. Now, I don't know what happened when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, but how many of you know God sent revival? Now, that's some kind of revival. The, 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 the Hebrew word is Viagra. No, it's not. Now, if you get offended at that, you need to just come on. Get, get out of your religious spirit. How many of you know they? but one immaculate conception in the world, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ? Abraham knew that faith without works was dead. Abraham had a part to play, he had something to do, and guess what? God visited, the scripture says that Sarah received strength to conceive the seed. Abraham got faith to be able to do his part, and Sarah got faith, and guess what? A 90-year-old womb had a new baby growing on the inside of it. Now, most everybody in the room is an adult, and I'm keeping it G-rated. But by the way, just let me tell you something. If you just read your Bible, there's more than some R-rated stuff. And if you get over there in the Song of Solomon, it's almost X-rated. Are you hearing me? Do you read your Bible? Take it off the shelf. Come on, somebody. It's amazing how God will show you how so many things relate to faith in Him and taking care of things that concern you in your life. Put your hands together and give Him praise. Hallelujah. Abraham trusted God. He never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. There is nothing so far gone. There is no situation so bad. Come on, somebody help me this morning. There is no circumstance that is indescribable and undefinable that God is not big enough to resurrect you and raise you up and turn the dead part of your life and your vision and your circumstance, every, every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see him move in your life for you and for those around you. Point number three, and I'm finished this morning. You get anything out of this? I want to tell you real quickly about a more recent man of faith. His life in ministry affected the life of my grandparents. He was a British evangelist, plumber by trade, but who became a full-time preacher that literally preached all over the world. His name was Smith Wigglesworth. Born into a Methodist home. I'm going to tell you a little bit about his, his life. There's a scripture that I think really sums up the kind of daring faith that he walked in, that he challenged people to trust God in. It's from Mark chapter 11, two verses, 22 and 23. I'm sorry, it's 24. Um, 22 says, then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I grew up hearing Dr. Kenneth E. Hagen preach, and he said in the original that it literally says, have the God kind of faith. Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen, but you must really believe, he says, you must really believe it will happen, and have no doubt in your heart I tell you, verse 24, you can pray for anything and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. Before I go on, I want you to see this. He says, I tell you, you can pray for what? Anything. There is no limit to this, saints. Whatever your circumstance is, don't play this little false, humble kind of game with, oh, I'm not going to bother God with the little stuff. He's got plenty big stuff to worry about and think about. How many of you know God is big enough to handle all of your little minutia? You can pray for anything. Matter of fact, what you need to learn to do is to pray about everything. And your faith will grow and God will answer prayers and it will ignite a, a burning desire in you to see the, the glory of God come in your life and for his kingdom to be advanced in this region and in your family and in your children and make them champions for the kingdom of God. He says you can pray for anything and if you what? If you believe that you've received it, it Will be yours. I want you to notice the tenses if you believe. What tense is that verb? Present. If you believe that you've received, what tense is that? Past. It will be. What tense is that? Isn't that cool? So he basically is saying when you pray, if you can believe right now in the present that in Christ you have already received it in the past at the cross where God provided for every need you would ever have, he says, then it will in the future. It's going to show up, it will manifest in your life. But you've got to believe right now that it came in the past and you've already received it. It will be yours. Every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see him move in your life for you and for those around you. Oh, I love it. Smith Wigglesworth was born in Yorkshire, England, 1859. Civil War hadn't begun in the US yet. He had a very extremely limited education. Didn't learn to read until he was an adult and his wife Polly taught him to read out of the Bible. He had unbelieving parents, but his grandmother was an old, true, born-again Methodist woman. She was a Wesleyan Methodist. Now, don't confuse that with the mainline United Methodists today, because it's a whole different world. These Wesleyan Methodists preached a true, born-again experience. John Wesley's been a hero of mine for over 40 years. I've read his works. I've read his journals. I've studied what he did. He rode on horseback. 250,000 miles preaching up to five times a day all over England, all over the United States original colonies. He came over here and along with Jonathan Edwards, a Presbyterian Congregationalist minister who was also the first president of Yale. I'm sorry, not Yale, but Princeton. Princeton at that time was the College of New Jersey. And so uh, Jonathan Edwards, who was here George Whitfield, who was a British evangelist who had stood like six feet, eight inches tall and had this big, massive basso, buffundo voice, very theatrical, and he preached all in the 13 colonies in the First Great Awakening, and John Wesley and his brother Charles came, and John would preach, and Charles would get under, get inspired under the anointing of hearing his brother John Wesley preach, and he would sit and write hymns, wrote thousands of them that we've grown up singing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. And Wesley Preached and Wesley wrote an older brother, younger brother team. Wesley, when you record, when you, when you read what was recorded in his revivals, these people, some of them were crazy. They shouted and danced and they fell out under the power of the Holy Spirit and they, they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. In the, this was before Pentecost in 1900, 1906. If you study the Cane Ridge revivals that happened just north of us up in Kentucky, there were Methodist and Baptist folks that gathered that were hungry for something more than what they had in their walk with God. And for weeks and weeks, thousands upon thousands rode into... Uh, the Cane Ridge there in Kentucky and, and they rode in with their carriages and their, their, their wagons and their horses and, and they built these brush arbors and they had revival out there in those fields together and people got saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit and Baptist women would get under the anointing and shout and dance until their long hair came down did you know Baptists before Pentecost used to shout they don't anymore because they didn't want to be associated with the Pentecostal people that they thought had taken it too far First Baptist Church in whatever, Memphis, Tennessee, in the 1800s, they shouted. They would shout, amen, and they would back the preacher, glory to God, yes, Jesus, and there would be just an unction of the Spirit. Baptists did that back then, but they quieted it down, and they, 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 they muzzled it, and they said, no, let's stop. We don't want to be associated with this crazy wildfire revival called Pentecost, and it's kind of a shame, you know, because there's, in every revival, there's somebody who's taken things too far. Every revival, we see an extreme. I, Lord knows I've seen it growing up, but I've also seen some very real, indescribable, miraculous things take place in my life and in other people's lives. My reason for telling you this is to just ignite a little bit of faith in you, to just simply trust God in whatever you're facing. Every situation in your life is an opportunity for you to trust God, for Him to move in your life for you and for those around you. I dare you to believe God. I dare you to believe God. I dare you to believe it. And you know what? It doesn't take a great big huge amount. Jesus said if you have faith as the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea. And doubt not in your heart, those things which you sayeth shall come to pass. It's what he read right here. He had a believing grandmother who took him to that Wesleyan Methodist church and Smith Wigglesworth had a conversion experience. He got saved and he became a praying youngster that became a praying teenager And his life was marked with an indescribably great hunger for God and for the things of God. He was trained and became a plumber. He met his wife, Polly, and she taught him how to read, and he began to preach And his preaching was so effective, hundreds showed up and then thousands began to show up and then he began to be in demand around the world and he came to America and he preached in America and he went to Europe and he went to Asia and he went to uh, Australia and he went to South America and he he, he went to Africa, he went to all these different places, all the continents preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the fact that if we would put our trust in God and believe with him, that he would do miraculous things in our life. Listen, I've got some quotes I want to read you. This is a couple of quotes by Smith Wigglesworth. There is nothing. Go ahead and put up his picture if you would. I want you to see him. Nice grandfatherly man. But Yorkshire, England was a very straightforward, ain't taking any mess from anybody. And he was very gruff. He, he exhibited what they called a kind of rough kindness. He, he would pray for you and get in, get in your face. And he would say, now, if you don't quit this, if you don't turn from that, you're not gonna get your deliverance. You're gonna stay bound. You're gonna stay sick. And did some things controversially sometimes, but but it was crazy the number, the multitudes of people that got healed. He was known as a faith healer in the uh, early Wesleyan Methodist movement and then in the Pentecostal movement. He embraced it when it came on the scene. He says this, there is nothing impossible with God. All the impossibility is with us when we measure God by the limitations of our unbelief. Listen to this one. On difficult times, he says, great faith is the product of great fights. Anybody in a fight this morning? I hope not with your spouse or with your kids, but maybe you're fighting a struggle. Maybe you're fighting some kind of an issue in your life. Great faith comes from great fights, he says. He says, great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. I love that on the bigness of God. He says, there is nothing small about our God and when we understand this, we will find out that there ought not to be anything small about us. I love it. We must have an enlargement of our conception of God that when then we will know that we have come to a place where all things are possible for our God is an omnipotent God for impossible positions. Isn't that good? Let me give you one more. I love this. On on an eternal perspective, he says, never listen to human plans. God can work mightily when you persist in believing Him in spite of discouragement from the human standpoint. I am moved by what I believe. I know this no man looks at the circumstances if he believes. Every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see Him move in my life for me and for those around me. Great spiritual hunger. Ministry of Healing. Listen, you can Google this guy. There, there are numerous. I think there's about 15 biographies that have been written about him. I brought two that are in my library, and these both belong to my Aunt Lucille. Lucille Morrison, great spiritual woman of God, prof- prophetic, very prophetic, would write things down on, that was happening on an international, on a national level, and they would come to pass. I've got journals that she'd written in, and the Lord whispered in her heart. She, she had written that Kennedy would never live to serve out his term. How many of you know God talks to people like that? I might scare some of you this morning, but that's in my family. That's part of my spiritual DNA. Different sets of circumstances that were happening on a political front, things that were happening in our nation, disruptions and violence, and she would pray and the Spirit of the Lord would speak to her and she would write those things down. Scripture says God shows his secrets to the prophets. Are you hearing me this morning? I don't believe God does that. Well, you know what? He never will in your life then until you wake up and go, okay, God, I'm open. Speak to my heart. You know what? God's talking right now. Are you turned on and tuned in to the heavenly FM or the heavenly Wi-Fi? Because he's sending signals into your life to give you direction to make it through what you're struggling with, to show you that he will show up and move in your life for you and for those around you. Are you getting anything out of this? I've got (laughs) Smith Wigglesworth remembered a great challenge to daring faith Smith Wigglesworth a man who walked with God the third one that I have is by Stanley Fraudsham who is a very educated um, historian for the assemblies of God he knew Wigglesworth personally and traveled with him and saw God do amazing miraculous things people getting up out of wheelchairs not staged crazy foolishness real sick people getting healed. Now, I'm going to say something to you right now, and this is probably going to shock at least a half a dozen of you. There are 14 occurrences in his life where he raised somebody from the dead. You know what? You don't hear about that in America because we don't need to use our faith. I mean, if you got a headache, we just take two Tylenol. But you know what? Every Southern Baptist preacher who's ever been to the nations of the earth into a people that are in abject poverty, they've come home shaken because they've seen miracles happen that they don't see happening in the United States of America. You want to know why they're happening over there? Because people don't have a pill or a shot or three easy steps to throw at their problems. They don't have anything else left. They have to trust God. And when you learn to trust God, God shows up for you and your faith. Come on, somebody. I'm finished. I just want to jar you a little bit. Circumstances you're facing right now, it ain't nothing for God. Wait, Pastor, there, there, there's not any hope. Oh, don't tell me about want no hope. If God can take a man who's basically dead and a wife who's basically dead and give them a baby, how many of you know God can birth something new in your life? Come on. Every situation is an opportunity to trust God and see him move in your life for you and those around you. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you that everything we do is based on the finished work of Jesus at the cross. Thank you this morning that we know that it's nothing but the blood that saves us. Lord, forgive us for living so far beneath all the blessings and the privileges that you have given to us as sons and daughters of God because we've not released faith. We've not made a draw on your ability. We've forgotten that our God is able to do what he promised. Lord, there's somebody under the sound of my voice this morning, Lord, that's facing circumstances that they they don't know how they're going to deal with it, Lord, thank you that you're bigger than a financial problem. You're bigger than a marital problem. You're bigger than relationships with children or with extended family. God, thank you that you are mightier than the name of Jesus is higher than every disease that plagues mankind. The name of Jesus is higher than cancer. Lord, thank you that that it's higher than multiple sclerosis. Thank you, Lord, that it's higher than spina bifida and surgeries, Lord, that are going to take place with people in our congregation in this next week or two. Thank you. The name of Jesus is higher. And we look, we lean into that name. And I pray for the presence of the Lord, for healing, for confidence in you, that we'll look at that situation and we'll know that it's an opportunity to trust you. God, I ask you that anyone under the sound of my voice who's never crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus, save me, be Lord of my life. I turn to you, Lord, that you would do what only you can do in their heart right now in this moment. I'm not a good enough preacher to manipulate or convince them to do something that your Holy Spirit doesn't first draw them to do. God, make the first move. Spirit of God, bring conviction. Open up their heart right now. Maybe there's somebody else in this room this morning that you've been so challenged to to come back to a fresh, trusting God again. Maybe you you tried at some point in time and you were disappointed it didn't turn out the way you wanted to, but the Lord is prompting you again this morning to say, no, no, come on, put your trust in me. Lean into me. I'm I'm gonna show up in your life. That's for somebody in this room right now. And if that's you, anything has dared you to to release faith in God's ability this morning, or if you've never said, Jesus, save me, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, any of those areas, if the Lord has just prompted you to release faith in him this morning, would you just lift your hand? I wanna pray for you. Anybody in the room, come on. Yes, thank you, thank you. There's a little smattering of hands, two or three around here. We pray right now, Holy Spirit of God, that you move in our lives. We look at the situations we face And God, your power and your ability is greater than our circumstances. Nothing we have done that is so great that you can't fix it. Nothing we face that is so impossible that you can't change it. We ask you, Holy Spirit of God right now to bring faith into our hearts. Everyone that's hearing this, those that are watching on the internet, Lord, right now and in the future, Lord, that you would just stoke a fire in them in Jesus' name. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And God, we've been faithful to preach the gospel this morning that Jesus Christ is our Savior and our healer, our death-defying King. We put our trust in you. We turn from our past. We turn to you in faith. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray. All of this in Jesus' name and all of God's people, said, Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Amen. What a word, Pastor Michael. Aren't y'all glad that we